right, good morning. If you would take out your Bibles or your phones or whatever you got God's Word on, turn to Acts chapter 16 with me, if you would, please. And if I don't see you with the Bible or phone out, I'm going to call your name out loud. So I would go ahead and go ahead, open up God's Word so that we can read it together. I, last week, if you remember, Dan preached on grace. I, and what does it look like to understand what grace is? And, and it's bigger than just like, well, that's okay. It's what if, how does God work in your life? How is this amazing message of the, knowing that you can never measure up to the full standard of God, but yet he says, I know that. And I want you to walk with me, and I want you to have freedom in that. And so where we start at today I, seems kind of contrary to that at the start of Acts chapter 16. Uh, whenever we talk about Paul and Silas getting ready to start on their missionary journey, and the very first thing they do is they come to this young man named Timothy, and they say, oh, Timothy, before you can go out and preach, you're going to have to get circumcised. And so we're going to go and look through this. How does this all come together? And since Dan got to pre- preach on circumcision last week, I was jealous, so I wanted to make sure I could preach on circumcision as well. But the, uh, the big idea that we're going to get from Acts chapter 16 as we open up God's word today is that being a faithful witness requires putting God first in all things. And that may seem kind of, uh, con- that may be seem like very simple, it may be seem very elementary, but we're going to look and see throughout this whole chapter 16, what does it look like to put God first in all things? And so I said that, you know, it starts with, in chapter 16, it's got the story of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are going out on a missionary journey to kind of put this in context. If you remember in Acts 15, there was some dissension among the new believers and, and the Jews. And they were like, oh, well, if these people are going to follow, follow Christ, then we need to make sure they follow under all these laws. And they're like, oh, so you have to do all these things. You have to obey the Mosaic law. And the, the church fathers, are, they had a meeting together. And they said, well, that doesn't make sense. What should we do? And so they go back and forth and they finally figure out, well, here's the message that we want to take to these believers, these new believers. And Paul and Silas are like, great. And so they're going out to start to spread this message to the church. And it starts with, here in chapter 16 at the very beginning, it says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now I started with this part of the passage because one of the things that I saw as we start to look in this is what does it look like to put God first is that this seemed, when you first read it, an exact contradiction to what they had just said. Hey, we don't want to put these people under all these Jewish laws. We don't want to do all these things. And then Paul shows up. He says, Timothy, and this is the same Timothy, like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, that Paul writes to. He's later a leader in the church. Paul has lifted him up this great disciple of Christ. And the first thing he says is, yeah, we're going to have to get you circumcised. Well, how can we, how do you put those two things together? Freedom, grace, God is for you. You don't have to follow these laws, except for you. We got to take you over to the moil, which is a Jewish word. You guys can look that up later. But so the idea behind it though is, is here in the text. If you look, it first says his mother was Jewish, and we know her name is Eunice because she's mentioned in a, different, in a different letter from Paul later on, but his dad's name is never mentioned. He's just the Greek. That's it. 
And so Paul is looking at Timothy, and he says, Timothy, we've got a big, big job to do. We're going to go and talk to all of these Jews, all these people who are following these old laws, and we're going to tell them about the freedom of Christ, but they won't listen to you because your, your mother was Jewish and, and your father was probably a proselyte just based on the way the text reads, but you're not circumcised, and so you're unclean. So they won't even let you in. And in fact, if I, Paul, am walking with you and have you in this place of, of authority beside me, then I'll be unclean too. And they won't listen to either of us. So the way that we open up the world to be able to hear this message is to start with this. Now, here's how that comes together. And I call this first point, appearance matters. Paul's not saying we have to keep all of the laws to come here. He's not saying that we're going to do this, and he's not saying so we're going to put on a disguise. This is not like some kind of top secret infiltration meeting where they're like, okay, here's how we're going to come together. We're going to put on this, and you're going to speak with this funny accent, and then we'll go in here, and we're going to invade. No, what Paul is doing is that he's simply breaking down the barriers of the gospel, and this happens in our lives every day. Because if you show up, depending on how you enter a room, you can immediately see how people start to separate out. I think about this in, in when you show up for a job interview. When you show up for a job interview, pre-COVID, you would normally show up, you would wear nice clothes, you would wear business casual, unless you were going, maybe you were going to audition as a backup singer for a rock band. You probably wouldn't wear a shirt and tie. Maybe you would, but you're going to dress to match the people that you're going to talk to. If you're going into a facility, you're going into different places, there's a dress code that's there. It's not saying so that you put on somebody else's face or you're pretending to be something that you're not. It's how do you break down those barriers? And that's what Paul is doing. His very first thing he wants to do is he wants to make people comfortable with hearing a message that's going to be uncomfortable. Because if you ever talk to somebody before they were a believer and you say, hey, here's the gospel. What did you hear when you first said? There's very few people who said, you know, I, I knew I was in sin the whole time of my life. And even though I lived in, you know, in aggression against it and turned my back to it, I sure am glad you showed up today. That doesn't really happen. Now, there are places where that goes. And in fact, if you read uh, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote... He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. And to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. That very first part is that appearance matters because when we go out and we talk about being faithful witnesses, we want to be witnesses. You have to know your environment. Now, the other thing is, is that Paul was talking to Timothy and said, I need you to be circumcised because we're going to go talk to Jews. He didn't say because we're going to go talk to these Gentiles, we're going to go talk to these other people because they don't care. 
But Paul said, if this is where we're going into, then we need to make sure that we break down these walls. And so in the life around you and the way that you live, there's, we can create walls or we can create bridges whenever we go to share the gospel. So look at ways of building bridges instead of walls within reason. And so this is not a covering grace. My, I have a friend that's a pastor of a church down on 7th Street. And I got some younger ears here, so I'll, I'll be a little bit discreet here. There are businesses on 7th Street that specialize in other types of entertainment that are very worldly. Uh, and they're not a good place. But the people who work in those environments a lot of times don't want to. It's just an easy way to earn money a lot of money, and the other stuff that goes with it doesn't make them feel good either, but they're doing it because they need the money to support themselves or their families. And so there was a group here in town called Scarlet's Hope, and they would go in and witness to these women and actually bring them meals, bring them makeup, meet with them uh, when they were uh, in their downtime back in their dressing rooms, actually carry on a conversation. I talked with some of the ladies that did that ministry, and they said, you know, it's, it's a weird thing because you're walking into this place that's got all this mess going on around you and you're just sitting down and trying to have a conversation to someone to let them know that they're seen and that they're a real person and you can recognize that. Now, I'll tell that story because my friend that's the pastor of one of the churches down there said one of, his, one of the guys in the church said, Oh, Brother Seymour, I'm ready to go. Let's go in and start talking. He said, Brother, that's outside your pay grade. We wait in the parking lot. We don't need to be in the middle of that kind of place. That's not where we belong. And so looking for those ways of building those bridges instead of, ta- instead of walls is each of us around us. Not all things to all people, but where are those places that you can go in? And what are those things just being conscious about the way that you go in? Do you bring, do you bring either a bridge or a wall? Depending on who you're talking to. Depending on where the circumstance is. That's where Paul starts here. It's not trying to put anybody back under the law, but where does that go? And then it gets a little crazier. You got this way, that way, the other way. It gets really confusing here because as we start to go in, this is why I wanted you guys to open up your Bibles because we're going to read through, the, through this big chunk of chap- chapter 16 of Acts because it seems to make perfect sense. God says, okay, here we go. We got this message. We need to go tell these people. We need to get the church out. We need to get people mobilized. Timothy's ready. Uh, in here, Luke shows up and he actually says we. So Luke, the author of Acts, is actually part of the group that's going out here. And here's where they head off. It says here, starting in verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia coming and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Time out. God said, we're going to go preach over here. No, don't go tell those guys. But God, what about over here? No, 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 not them either. Where are we supposed to go? And so he has a vision of Macedonia. Now, if God is great and God is good and loving and he wants all men to come to him, why in the world would he say don't go and preach the gospel to those places? Well, it wasn't ready yet. 
that first region that they said Paul don't go preach to, later on in the book of Revelation where it says this, this letter to the seven churches, that's the region of the world those seven churches are in. So we know the gospel comes there, but it wasn't time yet. God said that the, the, that the, it wasn't, the soil wasn't ready, the people weren't ready to hear. They needed to see continued witness. They needed to see other things. But you know, in our world, we would have said, nope, got a plan, got to go. It would be very hard for me if I had started my day thinking, I'm going to go here and do this, and then God says no. I think some part of me would have gone, is that really you, Lord? I may even pull to Daniel. Lord, if this is really your will, then you will stop my car from taking this exit. Okay, I took the exit. All right, well, Lord, if it's really, really your will, <laughs> then you will make me take the exit. Whatever that is, like my world doesn't think like this. But in the midst of the gospel, the very first thing that these, that these witnesses show is that they're willing to listen to God and do something that doesn't necessarily make sense. Well, it gets even crazier because the next part is here in the next couple of verses. So it tells Paul, they said, from Troas we went out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, and the next day we went out to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. And then on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. And she was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to come to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So a little bit of backstory about what's going on here. So now they end up here in Philippi. So they're ready to go in. They're going to, they're, they're going to talk and they're going to say, hey, here's the message of the gospel. And they're going to take it to the Jews. And they show up at the city and there's no synagogue. And that's going to be their, kind of like their first thing. They're like, okay, this is where the Jews will be. Oh, there's not enough Jews here to have a synagogue. So then there's another fancy Jewish word that I can't pronounce. So I'll just tell you, it's a, it's a building down by the river, basically, is what it is. It's an open-air preaching spot. It's where if the, if the city itself did not have the support to actually build a Jewish temple and have all of the people there that it would take to run a temple, they just built a meeting place. And it was known as, this is where the Jews are going to go. And so that's where Paul went. So he showed up there looking for the Jews who are going to be worshiping. But it, when he gets there, the Jews aren't worshiping. He sees these women who are working by the river. And so he starts to talk to them. Because that was what God's plan was. He wasn't like, oh, well, you know, God said, got to talk to the Jews. We've already taken Timothy off, got him circumcised. So we got it. That's, that's what we're here for. Jews aren't here. We're just going to ha hang out. No, it was this woman named Lydia, and the neat thing about her is that Lydia later on will open doors because what she's doing, the craft she has, where it says she's dealing with purple cloth, that purple cloth is very valuable to the Roman Empire. It's the, it's the purple that, the, that anybody in authority would be wearing on their toga would have come from people like Lydia. And the way to make it is this crazy thing. They found these snails that are way out deep in the water. I get so very, and there's, so there, you only get a little bit of dye from these. So it was a very expensive thing. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And these are the people that came. And Lydia hears the message of the Lord, converts, and it says, I'll be your place of peace. Come and stay here. 
And Paul and Silas and their, their crew, they're like, okay, this seems like it's God's plan. So they're going to do that. Now, this is completely different. It starts with, we're going to go over here and preach. Nope, not there, not there. Here's a dream. We're going to go talk to the Jews. The Jews aren't there. So now we're going to talk to Lydia. Again, following God's plan. And then it goes a little bit further. Verse 16, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, which is that same gathering place that we were just talking about, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And when the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. All right. Now, I, mean, I know I'm breaking this into small sections, but there's a lot of really fun stuff going on in here. And I think it's, if we see the whole picture as we get to the end of, for application, it makes it a little bit easier. So you have Paul and Silas who are going around, and there's this girl that's following them, and she's possessed by a demon. And this demon is, is a source of money for these guys that are, care, that are taking care of her. She's a slave to them. And the reason it, that the demon is able to get them money is because it's pretending to be able to see the future, to be able to tell people things before they happen or the things that have happened in their lives that others wouldn't know. Well, that's, it's all demonic. It's Satan's kingdom. It's the demons speaking with each other. They're just speaking through this woman. And so she's going around, and she's actually saying, hey, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. But Paul casts a demon out. And you may be thinking, like, wait a minute. This is like the best hype person you can imagine. She's following you around everywhere, screaming out, don't listen to these guys. They're going to give you eternal life. Don't listen to anything they say, or you will not die. Well, why would you cast that out? It's cause of appearance. It goes back to that first thing. Because Jews were strictly forbidden to have anything to do with divination or magic. This is from the Old Testament law. And so if this soothsayer, this demonic person that's falling around, is proclaiming what they're doing, outside looking in appearance, well, maybe they're in league together. Maybe she's on their team. And so who's not going to listen to them? The Jews. Or on the other side, if you've got, hey, this, you're, you're a Gentile and you see this woman following them around and saying these things, like, oh, it's all the same thing. You know, all paths lead to heaven. It's all that. It's all some kind of, you know, mumbo jumbo thing. That's fine. And just kind of stir it all together. And that's why Paul's like, he's not mad that the woman's telling people who he is. He's mad because of the witness that she's giving. It's kind of that thing, like if you've ever been in an argument and somebody's trying to help and you just want to look at them sometimes and say, hey, quit being on my team. You're really not helping me out. That's the way that Paul was looking at this. And so he turns around and in the authority of Jesus, he casts her out. So if anybody hears or anybody sees this, he says, in the name of the most high God, that's what he does. He doesn't just say, demon be gone. He makes sure he brings Jesus into the equation because he wants to make sure that everybody knows it's Jesus is the reason that they're here. Jesus is what they're here for, and he doesn't want that message to be turned off by anything or any of these other things coming in and changing what that appearance is. Well, the other problem that happened, though, is because he cast out that demon, now this poor, these people who were, uh, who were using this woman as a means of money, 
He took away all their money. He took away all the ability for them to make, to make money anymore. And what's really sad is this lady is never mentioned again. And so I wonder what happened to her, even though that she was set free. Because it doesn't say, and she immediately repented and turned her heart to God. Even whenever she was there, they left. And so the next thing that happens, they get brought to the marketplace. So starting here in verse 20, it says, They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Funny thing about the message of the gospel, not everybody really likes it, especially if it starts to become annoying or to interrupt what we think is our own lives. These people, suddenly the message of Jesus was costing them money because the way they were making money was no longer, was no longer even able to happen. And so they come to the people of the marketplace and they say, look at these Jews. They're bringing in this false religion because in the, they're in a Roman territory. And, the, and in the Roman Empire, religion was a big deal. And so you bringing in this contrary religion could actually be sedition or these other things. They're turning, they're turning against the government. Magistrates, you need to do something. And so they take them out. They strip off their clothes. They beat them. And then they throw them into prison. And they said they put them in stocks. Now, just to kind of give you the big full thing here. And when the jailer heard, he said he put them in the inner dungeon. So here's what, here's what this looks like. They took these guys out took their clothes off, beat their back until their back is opened up, took them into prison, which is, and the inner dungeon is going to be the filthiest, dirtiest place. They put their feet in stocks, which is just like you see like on, you know, like old TV shows, like people with their head and their arms in, and they would throw apples at them and laugh and boo and all those things. This is rougher though, because they put their feet in and pull their feet up. So that way you're forced to lay on your back with your legs at this uncomfortable angle in this filth that's on the ground. And oh, by the way, your back has all these open cuts and wounds on it. And that's where the jailer put them because these magistrates said, guard them severely. Make sure that there's no way for them to get out. Now, their whole reason for that, because again, they're bringing this message of the gospel that has turned everything upside down. Suddenly, it's interfering with commerce. All these people who would come to the marketplace to have the soothsayer tell you your fortune or your future. All these things. And so these guys who were important say, you have to stop this. And so we're going to make an example out of them. Let's beat them, hurt them a lot, put them in prison so that way we can get rid of them. But look at what happened. Verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, I'll tell you the, I told you the, the background of what it really meant when it said they were beaten and put into stocks because when you just read through that, it's easy to kind of push past it. Singing hymns and praying. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he 
then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In this presentation of the gospel, when we go out into the world, it's not always going to be received well. And the world itself has plenty of troubles that are in, in, in and around. But what kind of heart would it take to, in the midst of those troubles to pray and to sing hymns? Because if they're praying, I don't take it as the fact that they were saying they were praying, Oh Lord, please get us out of here. Oh Lord, please release us. I'll bet you they were praying for the very people that put them in there. And for the people around. And I, and I have to say that that would have been part of it. Because when it says the earthquake came, all of the doors in the prison fall off their hinges and are open. So now every prisoner who's in there, not just Paul and Silas, but there are other prisoners in there as well. It says the doors are all open to the prison. It didn't say just theirs. And then it says all the chains, the handcuffs, whatever bindings they had that were keeping them around, all those fell off. And so the jailer shows up and he's ready to kill himself because he has been charged that you are going to have to guard these people. And he already knew that the failure of doing that duty was he was going to die. And so as it was, he's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and save everybody the trouble. I'm going to do it myself, which is why Paul said, wait, hold on. We're all still here. He didn't say just me and Silas. They're all here. It's a funny thing about whenever you react differently than the world around you, how quickly eyes come to you because people are, are confused in there. And I was humbled because I, heard, I was sitting with, with Dr. Dill and, and Linda at the table at the last potluck in prayer, and we were talking about praising, and Steve said, I praise God for my stroke. I got to tell you, it's a lot easier for me to praise God for Steve's stroke standing up here than being Steve. Because I can say, oh, look at these great things. But do you know what Steve did? Steve said, okay, I'm in the hospital. I'm going to witness to every person who comes in here. I'm going to make sure they know who Jesus is and what he's doing. I'm not saying, oh, my Jesus will be the one who's going to save me and I'm going to miraculously stand up and take my mat and walk out of here. He just said, how much of an opportunity do I have? Because you know what? They have to be here with me. It's their job. They can't leave. And so as a faithful witness, I can continue to talk. I continue to go. So Paul and Silas, they were stuck in prison. And so their reaction wasn't grumbling and being upset or, saying, or, or kind of commiserating. Their first thing was, how can I use this as a, gospel, a place to spread the gospel? And we know that it worked because the next section tells us that there's a conversion. The jailer comes to them and says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the jailer said, tell me what that means. And so they went and told him, what is the truth of the gospel? And he accepts that very night. He says he turns his heart over to the Lord, goes back. They tell his whole household. The whole household is baptized. This is one heck of a night. Because it started out with getting beaten, thrown into jail. There's this earthquake, and now they're, shedding, they're spreading the gospel. They go to his house. They, they, they take him out. They clean their wounds. They feed them. And they say, oh, man, this message is amazing. I need to make sure that everyone in my household knows. But the only reason that happened was because of this faithfulness that happened from the very beginning. Because they had one set of plans and God had something completely different. And I don't do well with that, personally. I don't do well when I, my, my calendar, my day is very hyper-scheduled. I, I, I have, usually have meetings on top of meetings. 
where I'm, you know, doing something while something else is going on, or I look at everything, or you can ask my wife. She'll say, what can we do on this day? I'm like, oh, no, you got to look at the calendar, because the calendar has everything on it. If it's not on the calendar, it's not going to happen probably, and if there's something already on the calendar, it's really hard to get something else to go in there, and I don't do well whenever, oh, somebody left their keys in the car, so now I have to drive away and go and check that, or oh, this doesn't work. Or, oh, none of the computers turned on today. Oh, that's great. I'm going to sit here and pray and sing hymns to God about this extra time. That's not, what my, that's not what my head does. That's not where my heart is. But when I look around, the easiest thing to remember is it's all about God's plan, not ours. And that's the only way that whole section of passage of Scripture could have happened. Because they started off going in one direction, end up completely someplace else. Everything they thought they were supposed to do, they didn't get to do. They show up, they meet new people they weren't expecting. There's some demon-possessed lady walking around behind them. They end up in prison, and yet at the end, their, their people are converting left and right because they're hearing the message of the gospel because they realize that it was God's plan and not ours. And if you listen to the stories of, of missionaries all around the world, oh my goodness, the things that God uses for his glory that sound so awful to us. I mean, think about the saints, Nate Saint and the whole tip of the spear and the, and, the, and the proselytizing that happened there and how even his wife goes back and talks to the same people that killed her husband and yet the gospel has spread. I got to tell you, if you're, making a, if you're asking me to make a plan for a mission trip, I'm not going to go, okay, go to foreign country, die violently, set up the gospel. That's probably not on my agenda. But being in a spot to where you say, Lord, whatever you need to do with my life today, let's be ready for that and make this your plan and not ours. I was touched because Dan prayed that he said that because of this this the sermon series, he was starting his day, and I say was because I don't know if you still are, I'm not putting you on the spot, but you said you started your day by praying, God, give me the opportunity to speak to other people about your truth. God, let this plan be yours and not ours. Be ready for you to be present instead of me. And I love this verse from Isaiah. It says, the Lord, though the Lord gave you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will see your teacher and your ears will hear the word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right and when you turn to the left. What an amazing passage. It's, it's, it's prophetic passage if you read it in context, but I love this idea that God said, yeah, it's adversity, it's bad, it's not a paved, easy road, but I'll be right behind you. Turn left, turn right, I'll guide you, I'll be there. But the neat part about that is he said, but you're going to be walking in front. He doesn't say, I'm going to walk and you just follow right behind me. He says, no, you're going to be walking and I'm going to be talking to you. And you know why you do that? Because that's the way you teach someone to be able to do a skill or to be able to do something, right? You show them. You tell them, you watch them and offer guidance from afar away, and then you let them off on their own. This is a very real story to me because Naomi's going to take her driver's test next week. And Melissa has been teaching her 
and instructing her, this is the way, and then sets beside her as she's driving, and she very, and she very audibly says, take a left, take a right, stop, go. And now Naomi's going to go and say, well, can she do this on her own? That's in driving, but what if every part of our life we followed that exact same thing of seeing what does God do for us? Would we be willing to listen? But it comes from knowing that it's his plan and not ours because otherwise we're going to get really torn up because it doesn't always work the way that we think it should. And then finally, I love the end of this story. If you look in here at the end, it says, excuse me, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jail. This is after Paul and Silas have been released. The jailer, his whole family has been baptized. Now the magistrates, these same people who beat them yesterday and put them in prison, they sent their officers, they sent the police, basically, their, their police force, to the jailer and said, hey, release those guys. And the jailer told Paul, he said, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said, "Uh uh-uh. Time out. We're not doing that. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Here's the problem that had happened. Under Roman law, if you were a Roman citizen... You were not allowed to be punished without a fair and public trial. There was no fair and public trial. These guys, these business people had come up and said, look, they're bringing this false message. They're bringing sedition against this. They're horrible people. We need to get rid of them. The magistrate said, you're right. Let's beat them and throw them in prison. Then we'll shoot them out in the middle of the night because that was their plan. That's why they sent the police the next day and said, get out of here. It's kind of like the whole, you know, old Western, we're going to run you out of town on a rail kind of thing where they really would just like tie you up, throw you on a train and let it, the train take you away. That's what their hope was. But Paul said, no, that's not what's going to happen. We're Roman citizens and they beat us. So that's why this next part of this passage makes more sense. It said the officers came back to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They had really, really messed up because if you beat, if you punished a Roman citizen without a fair trial, now you were guilty of crime, punishable even up to death. And as a Roman citizen, if you felt that you had been unfairly punished, unfairly put through this, you could actually appear to appeal to Rome itself and show up. And we'll hear that story about Paul here in a couple of chapters, where that's where he actually, where it says that he actually shows up, he appeals to Caesar. That's what this is. It's because he's a Roman citizen. And so whenever these magistrates, these people in charge heard about this, they show up to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. So these big guys and these people who are in charge of the government, it would have been noticed that they left their places of position within within the marketplace and walked to this prison. And then they're talking to these gentlemen. Sorry about that, sir. Here, please go on your way. And so this is in front of everybody. And so they said they put them out. And then Paul and Silas, they came out of the prison. They went back to Lydia's house, encouraged them, and then they left the region. Now, Paul and Silas, they didn't do it for their own boasting. And, they, you know, with part of me, my heart would be, oh, you done messed up. I'm ready to, to, to show you and to make fun of you in front of all these people. That's not what they were doing. They were given an opportunity to take the stage. 
And that's my third and final point from this passage is that sometimes you're given a stage and when you are, take it. What an opportunity they had because these same people that said that they were bringing this horrible sedition against the government, that they were bringing all of this discontent and all these different things had to show up, say, I'm sorry, and escort them out of prison. That's a completely different setup than what put them there. And what better way to take a whole region and, make, and let people listen. And then Paul and Silas went to Lydia's house so that people know she really is part of our team and then left. So if you have any questions while we're gone, please ask Lydia and her family or this jailer or these other people. They were setting it up. And so in your life, you have opportunities to take this stage. Sometimes it may be a big stage in front of a lot of people. And to be able to talk and to be able to tell about the great things that God has done. I, the guy I know, his name is Mark Whitaker. If you guys have ever seen The Informer, the Matt Damon movie, it was, a, it was a really strange story. Mark Whitaker is the guy that he played in that movie. That movie makes him look like a stumbling buffoon, but if you, a buffoon. But if you ever talk to Mark, he is anything but. He's a very brilliant man. He just broke underneath of all of these different, uh, the, the pain and the, and the suffering of being wearing a wire for years and years and years. But the neat thing about his story was is that so he gets convicted. He's, the money this guy was making, astronomical sums of money. Well, he go, he's going to jail. And he's going to jail, and the CEO of a very large company here in America actually went to Mark's house and said, look, your wife is praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I want to tell you who Jesus is. And Mark said, no thanks. But later on, Mark continues to hear the gospel, turns his life around. He works for Coca-Cola, one of the largest Coca-Cola bottling companies here in America. And if you, they actually have chaplains that meet with people. They, pros, they pray before meetings. They are proselytizing the gospel all over the world. And Mark has a stage that's big enough and people listen to him. There's another great clip, and I was going to show it, but I'm afraid Facebook would shut us down like on the live stream thing. But I encourage you to look. It's the 2018 Video Music Awards, Chris Pratt's speech, if you get a chance to watch it. Now, I'm not telling you to watch the whole Video Music Awards. I'm being very specific. 2018, Chris Pratt's speech. He talks about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus on the stage where he's accepting this. And you can look at the audience and the people around, because if you know Chris Pratt, he's kind of funny, and so there's some other little fun things worked in there. But he, there's no question that he's talking about Jesus when he starts talking about Jesus. What an interesting opportunity he had to be there. But not every time you get the microphone do you need to stand up and say, and I want to thank God and my family and these. No, sometimes it doesn't work. But when you've been given a stage like that, take it. What if, you're just, what if it's that chance encounter with, someone, with a woman that you meet by the stream, because you're, by the river, because you think you're going to go talk to these Jews, but it turns out you're talking to this businesswoman and get a chance to be saved. You had a stage that was there. What if it's staying at maybe a layover and you're with a coworker and there's a chance to talk? That's your stage. What if it's just your job every time you go to? That's your stage. What if it's just riding around in the car or being next to somebody? That's your stage. And the other part, though, is don't feel the pressure that you have to every time you have it. Oh, I got to get ready for my gospel presentation. I got to make sure. Do, excuse me, do you think you're a good person? Well, why do you think? I, we don't have to be ready like that. Be ready to listen because of God's plans. And then whenever you're given these opportunities for the stage, be ready to take it. 
Jeremiah 9.24, though, reminds us, it says, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Paul and Silas could have very easily used that exact same situation just to publicly humiliate those very people who put them into prison, but instead they used it for God's glory because they were humble enough to realize that all of this was God's plan from the beginning and that they were walking through. And again, because of my good friend Dr. Dill, don't, don't be confused to think that if they hadn't done these things that God's plan would have been interrupted because you can, as Steve always says, you can do it God's way or you can do it God's other way. Either way, it's all going to work out for him. And so by following, by doing this, what a great message that was able to come out. And so how do we tie all this together? How do we take all of this stuff that we talked about here in Acts chapter 16? Well, I want to leave you with three questions today as we come to a close. The very first thing is when we talk about that appearance and why it's important, are there things in your own life you need to look at or be careful of so that you don't cause a distraction to your witness? Maybe it's things that you talk about. Maybe it's movies you watch. Maybe it's the way that you approach different situations. I remember we were at our church camp out, and Michael was talking about asking people, you know, what are you watching on TV right now? And somebody said, oh, we're watching such and such a show. And the other person was like, oh, you can't tell pastor that. Well, and then don't say it around Michael, because then you're going to be telling a sermon illustration. But if there's things in your life where you're like, oh, don't tell them. Maybe that ought to be one of those things like, well, should it be there? Because what if it is found out? Or what are those things in your life that maybe you want to make sure that you clean up? It doesn't have to be that something bad and you need to get rid of. It could be something that just needs to be cleaned up. Now, I'm not saying like you need to put I heart Jesus on the side of your car in big letters. Maybe that's what God calls you to. Maybe not. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But think about that. What are those things that we can do to set up for a witness? When we go out, and we start talking about doing door hangers next week, I can get, or it's, yeah, next week, not this week. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, two weeks away. I just, I, the math got out of my head. So when we go out and do door hangers, we're not going to be walking around wearing robes, carrying candles, slowly walking through and hanging stuff up. That's just going to scare people. Neither, also, we're not going to be playing vulgar music on, a, you know, on somebody's car with the windows down and pull up, park in their front yard, come to church, and then haul off to the next one. That's not either. So what is that appearance? What does it look like? Just make sure that you know that the way that the, everything around you is going to be part of that and that God has a plan and a purpose that he has for you to be in this spot right now. So being able to look at that. Secondly, what would it look like if you trusted God's plan? All the time, always. It's, it's always easy to trust God's plan when things are going really good. It's much tougher when things are not. It's a lot easier to follow God's plan whenever it seems to line up with what you want to do. It's much tougher whenever he says, I got something else in store. And it doesn't have to be catastrophic. It could be just different. I worked for a church previously. I was an associate pastor at the church. That church closed down. I was like, okay, God, I'm ready for my next ministry job. Spent 12 months trying to find that ministry job. I own a marketing company, not a church. Completely different. And the whole time I was not praising God. 
I didn't, not that I didn't praise God at all, but there were a lot of times I'm like, oh man, Melissa, I got this job. These people want me. This is going to be great. And the door slam. I'm like, oh man, what about this job? Well, you know, they said they need someone named Bill Reynolds, who's a good looking white guy and married to a woman named Melissa. And we need him to start tomorrow. I'm like, oh, look, this is my job. Nope, wrong one. I'm like, what? They wanted the other Bill Reynolds. So, so you get all of these crazy things that happen. What would it look like if you actually trusted God's plan? What if your first reaction, the next time you feel that you've been beaten and thrown into prison with your feet and stocks on your back, it is, I need to pray and sing some hymns. What would that do? Because what it really does is it allows you to see the world, what God wants you to do instead of what's right in front of you. And finally, think about your stage. We've all been given a stage to proclaim the gospel. It could be your own house. It could be to your, to your wife, to your family, to your husband. It could be to brothers and sisters. It could be in your job. It could be to the person sitting next to you in the cubicle. It could be on your commute to work, that person you always sit next to on the bus. I don't know, but I know a guy that can tell you and his name is Jesus. Because at the end of the day, if we can put ourselves second, if we can remember that being a faithful witness means that we put God first in everything, then the world starts to open up and look a whole lot different. And we're no longer a victim of our circumstances, but we're followers of Christ. And that's what we're trying to do. That's the idea about taking this message out because it's still not a popular message to hear. There's still not this, not everybody jumps up and down whenever you show up with the gospel. In fact, if you want to talk about, you know, what is your, what is your appearance and where different things go, there are all kinds of places we could show up. I can take you there. If you want to see people get really mad when we show up, they can just smell it. Like, you smell like a Christian. The way you act, the way you talk, or don't act or don't talk, that's what the world is. And so my encouragement to you is as we read through this chapter of Acts 16, know that sometimes we have to look, we have to be mindful of our appearance. Know that God's way is the way that we need to follow. And at the end, we've all been given a stage to be able to proclaim the message of truth. And that's my prayer for you guys today.